Hello, my name is Israel. I've been involved in hip-hop since the 1980s as an artist, producer, radio show host, journalist, documentarian, magazine editor, hip-hop advocate, and pundit. Over the years, I've interviewed hundreds of interesting people in music, media, and more. Welcome to Sounds from the Underground, the podcast from Insomniac Magazine, where we learn from both those who reside below the surface and those who've preached it. Yo, what's up? This is Cool Keith. You know, I'm giving a shout out to 20 years of the Insomniac Magazine, everlasting, timeless, still evolving, keeping up with hip-hop culture, truth, and everything. So we have the ultra-magnetic Cool Keith. What's happening, Keith? What's going on? It's real. It's real. <laughs> and we've known each other for a long time, right? Yeah, since New York City, you know, and you evolved down here with the magazine, Somniac, you know, the progression. So speaking of progression, I think it might be worth starting out talking a little bit about Ultramagnetic MC. So here we are in the mid to latter part of the 80s. And Ultramagnetic definitely progressed hip hop. Yeah. So, you know, you folks came with not only intricate rhymes, but also in regards to your subject matter, you know, content that nobody was really addressing before. Nobody was really spitting those kind of rhymes, you know, kind of like spaced out, futuristic, um, sci-fi, Star trek out raps. What are your thoughts about where we are now as far as the evolution of hip-hop? Many times I say that instead of evolution, we've had a devolution. What right, do you think? Right, Definitely took a kindergarten 360 because of the music. Um, like you said, everybody is kind of lazy with making stuff that's a little more creative. The choruses have gotten dumbed down, and um, you're right, it took a big kind of crash. But I guess it's for people who are easily able to understand that stuff. Some people probably don't have the brain and the mind to continue and go and investigate and see what words mean. And it has its ups and downs, and that's what we got to deal with right now. Like politically, we can't do nothing about it because of the payola and stuff like that. So, where do you think we went wrong? I mean, the 90s, you know, you had people like Gangstar, obviously, B.I.G., you had, you know, Tribe still doing their thing. Later on, we had groups like Slum Village coming in the mix, uh, Wu-Tang Clan, you know, the whole boot camp clique. How, how do you think we got to a point where I can't even understand what people are saying when they rap? I mean, you go back to the early 80s and you have people like Melly Mel, Grandmaster Flash, and you could understand, not only could you understand what he was saying, mm -hmm. not only was there a message, clearly, no mm -hmm. pun intended, but there was substance. And now we're at a point where I believe, now you tell me, I believe that we've been, since it seemed like since the latter 90s, we've been in a situation where the subject matter hasn't really changed that much. Right, as far as you mean, um, partying. Oh yeah, a lot of criminal, a lot of criminal rap. Yeah. 
So what 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 do you think we went wrong as a genre? I think the DJs are responsible for it. Now, like you know, a DJ is also a person that's responsible for putting the music out there, and we have a lot of DJs who are unresponsible, and that took a bad turn. We got DJs that are unresponsible, so they released unresponsible music. Not to blame on, not to blame it on the DJs, but it's probably what they were told to play politically, and but they control airwaves, and a lot of people listen, and a lot of people are lazy also. So that created some kind of bad, like you said, audio disease that took place. There's so many opportunities to do, you know, if you're an artist, to do what you do without without that machine behind you. Right, you can yeah, still yeah. exist, you can still do your thing, you can still get access to today's MTV, which is YouTube. You know, you still have access directly to your fans, which is social media. So, what, what do you think the record label's role is today? Well, record, label, record labels have been basically um, lazy because they're waiting for some kid to really get his own buzz, which he did all the buzz through his own computer and his own network and social you know, advancement. The record companies are sitting around waiting for people to spring up and then snatch most of the success he already made himself. True. And they snatch it and say they did it. Indeed. Which is a lazy way of, it's like a, uh, a bird sitting around waiting for like some chicken to leave an egg or something. <laughs> for another chicken to leave the egg. Yeah, yeah, you know, so <laughs> they can grab it right. and take off. Indeed, indeed. It was not. It's not too much work to right. put in. Indeed, I like that analogy. Because they're not bringing anybody, basically, anymore from the ground up. Right. It's like caught in a mid, a midsection when he's already high. It's just that they're using their political power in the machine just to add on to what. It's like a rocket. An extra piece of rocket shit. Right, so you're creating your own success and they just run with whatever you already built. Yeah. Versus back in the day where, you know, they were involved in the ground floor for the most yeah, part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of that, let's talk a little bit about the earlier days, you know, and your entry into the industry with Ultramagnetic MCs. The first label you were signed to was Next Plateau. Next Plateau. Talk to me a little bit about those days on a label. How was it to sign that deal? What were your experiences dealing with, with that label? What was your biggest takeaway from that experience? Well, a label is a support, but a label, you know, they give you a budget to go in the studio. They uh, give you your posters and your flats and all your stuff that they supposed to be a label for. But, uh, you know, and then you go in the studio, you write out a PO, you get endless recording, and they start giving you the advance and the money. But after a while, a label starts to kind of own you and control you basically with creative things. Like say if you want to wear a certain color, a pair of shoes, a label starts getting into sending a lot of people into telling you what to put on. You know, they take away your creativity as far as, you know, sending your stylist. You might not need a stylist. Some people don't need a stylist. A, la a label sometimes pressure you in, a, in a, an aggressive way to say, you know, I want you to wear something that you might not want to wear. It gets kind of uncomfortable. They have a persistent 
attitude. And what 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 would you say is the is the craziest thing that a label ha has asked you to do? Uh, looking back, there's a lot of things a label wants you to do. Like saying they want you, you know, they they hire all kinds of people that have ideas for you. Like you said, they might want you to put on an alien suit or something. It depends on what your own idea is that, that you wanted to do actually yourself. Like Black Elvis, I wanted to do Black Elvis. It depends, but some of them get crazy. They might want to put Black Elvis with a dinosaur tail connected. You know, they have different ways of extending something that doesn't need to be extended, but they can go too far with it. A lot of times they have went Real far. And how have you dealt with that? So you have somebody at a label and they're asking you I used to, to really um, say, I'm not doing it. Uh, I don't want to do this. You know, and, but it can get obnoxious. And then the label, has, it's a two-way catch. They say you're hard to work with. But it's not the point of you hard to work with. It's just that they're pressuring a lot of people to do something they might not want to do. Sometimes they, like when Black Elvis came out, it was supposed to have been like just Black Elvis Presley. But sometimes there was too many people getting in the pot, and well, it should be black Elvis. You know, they could be. It could be anything. The album cover should be green and have stuff. You know, people get over creative. Right. It's like too many people cooking in one pot, so it becomes a bad thing. So they get it twisted. Yeah. Indeed. So you went from Next Plateau to Mercury. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And how was the difference? I mean, going from Next Plateau to, uh, uh, and that was independent, well, well, to an established well, label, right? Well, independent lets you do what you like to do. Okay. But um, when you go to a major, they start having uh, major adjustments. That's what major means. I like major, that. Major adjustments is uh, you have to do major things like they have a certain rule, you know, I guess, which they set the rules of R&B and all that stuff the same tone as rap, but the difference between a major, they didn't know how to market like independent, so they tend to go take a lot of rappers into R&B passage, you know, R&B passages, you know, they, they go start doing the marketing goes through an R&B channel, but the rapper's not a, a R&B person, so you get caught up in the R&B marketing with a you know, you've got a street following and stuff. It kind of mess. It kind of messes you up because they don't know what they're doing with your. The channels are too pop, and they start going in diverse ways. So you, so so next plateau, Mercury, and then you went back to an independent Wild Pitch. Yeah. Okay. And Wild, Wild Pitch practically did more than Mercury. Not to be, and it doesn't mean that. Mercury, and Mercury probably has more power and machinery than Wild Pitch, but the label's smarter and mm -hmm. the label knows what they're doing. Right. It's like back in the days when you had a sleeping bag, but those labels knew what they were doing more than a major label. They were entrenched in that culture in many ways. Yeah, those people in, on their staff were more quite familiar with rap and which way it should be marketed, whereas uh, the majors are just, they just got a lot of money, but they don't know what they're doing. So. Wild Pitch, and then you went, Was it, it was Capital, right? Yeah. It Capital. was Capital for yeah. a hot minute. Same thing with Capital. Right. right. Same thing with Sex Down. It was a little too too grimy mm -hmm. for the for the machine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They, didn't know how to, they didn't know what way to start marketing. Right. 
What would you say Critical Beatdown brought to the table at that time in hip hop that wasn't there? Uh, Critical Beatdown brought intelligence out. It, it brought like, you know, it, it was me and Seb was like two scientific b-boys on like James Brown's soul and stuff like that and you know unfamiliar samples and stuff like that and it was like an album of like we were critical beat down was to beat all the MCs down basically true you know so and it was a distinctive album basically from a lot of albums and it was just a totally different record of it was less uh, Bronx b-boys basically uh, in a sci-fi manner, you know, that's what um, Critical Beatdown basically was. Indeed. Now, I remember it, being in New York, being in the Bronx, feeling it because it was something that I, I hadn't heard yet. I think a lot of us kind of got that, especially the, the, the lyrics. You were out there with the lyrics, like really bringing things to a totally different level what was what was the reception with other artists that you would come across during that time how did they receive old traumatic no it was uh it was a small genre of us being original because nobody was being like us i mean i mean like um you had uh let me see you had boogie down productions they was their own we had uh Queen Latifah, you had uh, Naughty by Nature. I mean, but we was out before that. Mm -hmm. It was like, say, maybe Rakim, Big Daddy Kane. Indeed. Uh, Houdini. Houdini. But it was more of a different genre. Oh, no question. Well, we had, but basically basically for us was KRS, um, Shan, Ultra, and Kooji Rap, and maybe um, Big Daddy Kane. And that was, that, was our, that was the golden age. You got that right. So, that was all we had as competition right mm -hmm. there. That was it. Mm -hmm. That was like the first. Slick Ray. Yeah, but he was. A little bit. Yeah, yeah, but he was original. Yeah, yeah. He was original. Well, original. it was around the t same time. Slick Ray was around the same time, but then his album dropped later. Yeah, but he was original. Right. He was original. Oh, no question. So it was only a, it was nothing too much to be different. Right. Right. That was the standard. Being different, being distinctive was the standard back then. Yeah. It wasn't too much, but that was, a lot of artists couldn't only, it was nothing to have a hard, complex thing to do, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't complex to accept ultramagnetic, but we was different. So you went from the Bronx, you mentioned B-Boys, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is, that's, that's the Bronx right there, especially back in the 80s, hotbed of the culture of hip hop. And then you moved out, you took it left field, right? You went out to the West Coast. Right. Um, what was your motivation to move out west and leave at that time the mecca of hip-hop music? Well, I think where well, the 90s was different. I mean, a lot of groups was coming in, but the 90s seemed like it was just not too original. It mm -hmm. was not that original. The 90s wasn't original at all. It was just everybody kind of got lost for a minute. So I, I think when I went west, it was more open-minded. It wasn't bad to do try different things. Right. New York was stuck on just, you gotta be militant hip hop. So I went out west, that opened doors for me to try different things, try new music, listen to stuff, collaborate with other bands, and that was a whole new situation.
And that led me into going to do sex style and Dr. Octagon and Dr. Doom and so forth. Any, anything else. You know, that's one of the things that I would say is, is, is I mean, there are a lot of things that are distinctive about Cool Key, but one of the things that I would say as far as your career goes is that you never stopped reinventing yourself, you know? So you mentioned, you mentioned, um, you know, Black Elvis, and obviously all the aliases that you were creating from, from the beginning, right? Yeah. So when Octagon came around, I mean, in many ways, I think that kind of gave people a totally different perspective on you. What, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, Octagon definitely opened a whole new dimension of my career because Octagon wasn't only alternative, it was rock, it was just, it was rap, it was all, it was just all the genres down, e, e, the EDM, you know, the, what's the EDM, mm -hmm. it was just everything, it was just all across the board, that was a toss across, Right. smacked every genre, that was the first record that smacked every genre, so that opened up doors for me with everybody. I was getting, you know, you would do it. You could do a song with Bajan Bork or Mike Patton. Or you could do a song with Nirvana, Dave Grohl. You could do a song with anybody, a rapper, underground rapper. So it was just pop rapper, anything. It just opened up doors with so much flexibility, which no other rapper done. Indeed, indeed. So. I would say, and I, I would imagine you would agree with me, I would say that, you know, you were in many ways the, the, the catalyst for, or the inspiration for a lot of artists that kind of took on new personas, that kind of went left field, you know, and, and, and a little mm -hmm. bit on the spacey side, you know, with their raps. How do you take that? I mean, they always say that, Imitation is the you know greatest form of flattery. Right. So do you feel that that's the case? What, what do you take out of that? The fact that so many people kind of you know took, let's just say, were inspired by you. What what do you what's your takeaway from that? You feel good about that? Does that? Well, a lot of people was inspired by just everything we've done in the past. I mean, you can go down the list of all the groups. I mean. Just in general, even back in the days from day one, like ultra stuff that you know, the, you know, just the sci-fi rhymes, the music, the sounds, and we just was inspired to do what we wanted to do on our on ourselves, not by somebody else. We were driven by ourselves. But a lot of people copied us down the line, and even me. So. Um, me, I felt like, hey, what can I say? With the the industry, the industry today don't really tell you the truth. They don't want to put the truth out that who started what and who came first. And so I'm kind of used to it, kind of. I mean, people took a lot of things from me, and but that's like false pages in the Bible. So you'll never get the truth about it. You just gotta keep on going and do what you do, but. I never sweated it one bit. Like you said, the highest form of flattery is somebody intent, you know, okay. trying to copy. You know, I think the, the, the one thing that is, that's interesting, and, and I think in many ways, as somebody that's been a, a, a fan, 
mm-hmm. um, you know, since the 80s. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things, and you know, there's nothing fair about the music industry. Oh, uh, no. Um, what if the music industry <laughs> is the most, they just got pages ripped out of the Bible. You know, even with all these charts and stuff like that and groups who started times and what they did and, you know, they're, they're, it's all written wrong, basically, in the format of rap history. And, you know, from day one, it's not proper placements of who did what first and who did this first and that first. They just mm-hmm. got it all scattered out in a, in a like you said, with a in a mean, evil, money way. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, who started what first? Right, right, right. Who should get an award for that first? Indeed. You know? Indeed. So, I mean, but, so what, what's your... What's your approach to, to to handling or dealing with the fact that, you know, Cool Keith has had a successful career, clearly. I mean, mm-hmm. you you are in the history books, no question about that. Right. Um, however... I'm glad, I'm glad I made it in that, that. There you go. Because they would take you out of that. Indeed. Is it frustrating, though, to have artists that you know, come out of um, left field that haven't put in the work, that aren't necessarily innovative, but for whatever reason, maybe the marketing was right, maybe all the stars were aligned, and they got that shine, and and, and in some ways it brought them to a different stratosphere. I mean, is that frustrating as an artistic person to see people that don't have a fraction maybe of, of the creativity you do get that kind of shine. I mean, we see it all the time. Right, right, right. I, I don't get upset about it. Like you said, I, I kind of laugh at it. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of humorous to see some of the groups that followed you right. and, you, you know, use the same blueprints that you had become successful. But the thing that I kind of get funny about is when they get up on, you know, when they accept their awards and stuff like that, they don't have you in those comments and you'd be like, okay, this guy's actually up there, or this group is up there that followed everything you did in your life and past, and they get up there and be like, you know, well, we did this first and we came up with it and, you know, I like to thank John for being this way and that way and God, and you'd be like, this dude or this person or this group took everything that I did, because you could see it clearly, you know what I'm saying? You could see it clearly, you'd be like, it's so crystal clear. Then some people had the machine behind them. Right, right, right. Some people came out and copied Ultramagnetic, mm-hmm. but they had the machine behind them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to go, put, you know, to be put out to the masses. So the people out in the masses may think, well, ODAP group was first because they got publicized worldwide first. They just got publicized worldwide first, but they didn't come out first. Indeed. You know, same with an artist that did me, he might have the machine behind him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Push to the masses, and the masses don't know any better. Indeed. Like mm-hmm. that. That's what that's what the problem is. So do you feel that the history of hip-hop will kind of set that straight. In other words, not necessarily a magazine that somebody's reading today or a website, a blog, but instead maybe in 50 years, it'll be clearer who... But you know what's funny? The people that should know the truth will probably won't even be around to even know. Like, why why should we wait 20 years 
30 years to find out the truth, but and you got magazines that are bigger out there that should just tell the truth right now, and they know it, Indeed. but don't talk to me personally in the street and going, oh, I know you guys started this first, and, and then, oh, I know you started this first, and, but that's a personal, tell the world, tell the world who started what first. And, and, and I know you know this, I hope you know this, but one of my, one of the reasons that I wanted you on the first issue of Insomniac Magazine in 1996 yeah. Yeah. was that, and I will, I'll, I'll, I'll keep the names out, but I know there was a magazine that I was very disappointed in the fact that Ultramagnetic, you know, didn't make the cover. And, and I, as a hip hop fan, I took that personal. Right. That being said, I don't know the reason Ultramag wasn't on the cover, mm -hmm. but I wanted to make sure that, you know, we said that right when we issued the first, when we published the first issue of Insomniac and we, mm -hmm. you know, we put Cool Keith exactly. on the cover. Well, you knew the truth. So here we are, man, 30 years, right? I mean, Critical Beatdown came out, what, 86, 87? 86. We had a lot of singles. Out. 86, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I know that. Um, so here we are 30 years later. What do you think the the Cool Keith of 1986 would have said if somebody would have told him 30 years later, you'd still be touring the planet, putting records out, and being in front of cameras. Do you, what, is it, did you expect that, or is that something that you, you might have been surprised by? Um, I kind of expected it for myself, because I knew I was going to do different things from the beginning. I had a lot of buildup of stuff waiting that was going to cover a lot of years. Indeed, so you kind of came in the game feeling as though you were going to have a full career. Yeah, because I knew I was flexible. Right. Whereas other rappers wasn't flexible. They did one thing throughout their whole career. If they was, you know, whatever they came out to be, they did it. They, they wanted to do it all year. Indeed. Or the year after, the year after. The year. So what, what keeps you motivated? I mean, you never stop making music, right? I mean, so many artists from that golden era kind of got stagnant. They kind of, you know, in many ways, a lot of them, unfortunately, didn't really move out of that era. You know? Yeah. Well, a lot of dudes, you know, they like to go to conventions and talk about the same thing. Like you said, a lot of those groups didn't evolve lyrically because, first of all, rap can't hate what's new. You can't hate what's new. You just, you got to like a little bit of it and understand a little bit of it to know what's going on. Like, I don't get mad at all the rappers. Sometimes, it's like, like basketball, they don't get mad at the rookies. They're supposed to teach them. But these guys are more mad at the rookies and saying, oh, they better than us, oh, hell with them. That, that's an easy cop-out, you know, and then they feel insufficient because they can't learn the styles, the cadences. They all stuck with old cadences and stuff like that, so they can't adjust. The words are going by their ears smoothly and faster. They can't make the adjustment. It's hard to make the adjustment. And like you said, they didn't get no pen and paper and like figure it out. They didn't figure it out. But I was ahead of my time anyway. But that was the curse. Like people that tried to copy me or do things and they got pushed out to the masses, but their style can't reach out no more. 
It's like you got a short arm. Mm-hmm. Can't it can't reach up. <laughs> so what keeps what keeps you motivated? What what keeps uh, you recording? What keeps you you know making new art? I, I write. I listen to all the rappers. You know, I stay on the radar. Like I know every rapper currently. You know, you got all kinds of rappers on all different types of radars. You know, all from west coast to east. You know, my 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 knowing of a rapper is is good from east to west, from south to north. You know, at least to know. But some guys don't even know that. They're just stuck in a certain time zone and they can't get out of it. So that's what's good about being a rapper is listening to everybody, even if they whack. You're like, well, I know he's whack. At least I know he's whack. I listen to him enough to know he's whack. But how you gonna listen to somebody or say something about somebody you never even heard their album? At least you have the experience to say, well, I heard his album is whack. But if you ain't heard, if you ain't never heard of his album, you don't even know what he rhymed like. What about advice? So you have somebody today that aspires to be an artist in in the hip hop space. What advice do you give them? I mean, you have a wealth, you have a lifetime of experience in this game. What kind of advice would you have for a young person that's trying to get in the game? Well, the young person is really hard-headed. They feel like they got to follow the trend. It's hard to tell a young guy, like, you can't be like that person. Be yourself. They feel like they got to be like the guy on the radio or something. Or the guy that's successful now. They just think about being, you know, music is like making some chicken dumplings out of a box in the supermarket. You know, you put them in your microwave and turn it on for 20 minutes. That's the kid's career. Put his rounds in the microwave, turn on the box, he's hot. He's the hottest thing coming out the microwave True. right now. That's how the music is. It's, it's like microwavable music. back now, now, music back in that time was properly prepared. That's what it was. You're saying it's a proper meal to eat, it was good, you wanted to get some more, you're like, oh, let me get some more of that. But now stuff is like microwave, eat it, throw your packet, throw the plastic in the garbage. You might not even want that again no more. Indeed, indeed. So what so what advice would you give them? Not to make um disposable music? I mean how do you <laughs> No, but that's what it's in now. You know, yeah. people love mm-hmm. people love T V dinners. Right. I mean people rappers are dropping mixtapes <laughs> like yeah, like No, I'm saying people love T V dinners and yeah. they're eating them and it's easy to fix. Right. And the ear it's like your ears are eating that. So it's like it's easy to fix. Mm-hmm. It's a quick meal. You warm it up, right? Microwave twenty seconds, mm-hmm. and you know they love it. It's, 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 they don't want to cook pots and pans, and you know music back then was chemistry. Chemistry it was made. You know, you know you had to season it and put pepper on it and cook it more and stay in the studio and make sure it's mixed right. You know, you know, like even like Dr. Dre, like people don't want to take time to make up the best stew in the world and, you know, cook it and put corn in it later and let it simmer and let the chicken sit overnight, you know. That's what I'm saying. It's like 
people that's Quincy Jones, right, right, like the Dre is right. more like people that want to sit, you know, record a whole album for like two years. Now you know people's microwave. Everybody got a microwave. Indeed, indeed. So properly season your rhymes, let them marinate, and don't rush it. Well, I'm with that too. I'm, I, I, I'm with both. I can do the long, like I got tracks that I recorded and worked on and stuff. And then I, I like, I like some of the microwave oven stuff. I mean, it, it start to taste good. I mean, I like the microwave oven because I can do it too. Because I'm adapted into the speed. Right. See, the new kids is about recording tonight mm-hmm. and putting the record out in the morning. Indeed, that's true. Which is that good. Is true. That is true. Whereas you know, some people have a theory. You know, it's like you working with some people, maybe that worked in Hit Factory in the big studios and people that are more older, you know, they're like, man, man, come on, man, I got to work on this record for five years, man, you know, mm-hmm. it's the, you know, y'all don't know about, you know, you know, if you got your great grand uncle walking the studio with some young kids, he'll be, you know, let me, let me, uh, you got to work on that for seven years, man, you know, we worked on records for seven years and, you know, that's how we do it now, you know, yeah, that's, that's the... That's the chemistry of making it right. <laughs> but nobody wanna hear that's but that's still that's a slow pace too. Right. You looking at this dude like, yo, I don't need to take five years to make a record. And then it come out sounding like microwave shit. Right. Right. That's that's you can get that also. Mm-hmm. You took five years to cook up some shit and this shit you could have just do it in the microwave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I'm just saying that's true though. I'm just saying I'm giving it to you straight with no right. chaser. Indeed, indeed. You know, I'm quite sure you heard shit like that. Yeah, of course. No You've been working on tracks for five, six years. Yeah, they're still working on it. Yeah, indeed, they're no still question. working on it. Indeed, still cooking, burning no, the kitchen. No question. So I have to ask you. I have to ask you a hypothetical what? question. So you could bring back any artist from. The past, an artist that is no longer with us on this earth, who would it be to, to record with? Maybe Roger Troutman. But you, you've you recorded with him, though. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I did record with Roger mm-hmm. Troutman. Um, maybe James Brown. Okay. Okay. But I don't want him to scream on the track. He could just talk. Uh, just talk <laughs> right. like, you know, yeah. Something wild, just something different. Right. Was was James Brown? You think the 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 greatest entertainer that that ever lived? Yeah. Well, James Brown inspired me. Like I kind of really, you know, I was real sensitive. I think I kind of cried when James Brown died. It was real sensitive, you know, because the Eagle Tripping had, you know, we used a lot of James Brown influence, which a lot of people won't say. I think James Brown. You know, I grew up on James Brown. Even my pops had the records in the forty fives, the Polydor when he was on all the stuff and you know the black caesar soundtrack you know that was the best soundtrack that that's when soundtracks was matching the movie mm-hmm. you've seen black caesar mm-hmm. it's like a dope movie the, the sounds match the movie now you got the world making movies they'll pick a soundtrack just from any record in the street right that's not a soundtrack and you know a real soundtrack is like when somebody approach a group and say well you know i want who keeps to do the whole soundtrack to the movie. Not pick a record from Britney Spears and close your eyes and pick a record from, you know, put a big raffle, put a big raffle thing up, you know. Let me go in the box. Okay, um, Elton John is gonna be for the 
spaceship coming down. Right. Let me close my eyes. <laughs> Give me the raffle bucket. Um, Celine Dion is for the fighting scene. That's okay. what they're doing now. Right, they're right, not, right. They're not, they're not doing, like James Brown was the first guy, and Curtis Mayfield, like Superfly. Yeah, no question. Like, that did proper soundtracks. Indeed. You know, soundtrack world, let me say something out there. All you people in soundtrack land, picking and placing songs for soundtracks, you're not doing a good job. You're doing the most poorest job out, basically, right now. Just the soundtrack's supposed to match a movie. You know what I'm saying? And I, I, I wanted to also get back to like an artist producing a whole album. You know, like Brothers Johnson did a whole album. Right. And, um, you know, just people who do the whole, the whole album, not like just, oh, you got a track from this hot person, you got a track from that hot person. That's cool, but we got to bring, show that a producer can feel the whole album of an artist and you get a, a soundtrack feel. Indeed. So what would you say for somebody that um, maybe isn't well versed in music, and maybe they're young, what should they go out and, 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 and check out? What should they listen to? What should they go back into the, 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 the classics, the annals, as they say, in hip, in, in hip hop, pull out and listen to? I, I think they should listen to Sophia Boxcar Sessions. Okay, that is a dope record. That is dope. I think it's <laughs> you know, dope. I, when I got to LA, I listened to that album like I was like, wow, moving around. Bah, 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 bah. Mm -hmm. It's just that you know, listen to every listen to Octagon. Mm -hmm. You know, just it's a lot of stuff out there they rudely avoiding. You right. Know like, let me tell you one thing. Like, what what what, what shocked me the other day? I was in the hallway one day. And I just got finished talking to DJ Lord, right? And a lady was in the hallway. Public enemy. Yeah, a lady was in the hallway. Some lady, like, she was like, get out the hallway, get out the hallway. There was like a lot of rappers there that was known and everything that she didn't even know. Mm -hmm. But I was like, I looked at the lady kind of weird, like, um, she was, I guess she was trying to be like, get away from the dressing room. But I was walking upstairs myself. But in my mind, I was like, this group, knows my group and did things that my group done to mm -hmm. evolve. Because mm -hmm. me and Sad was riding around down the highway with Trevor Scott, the first album, mm -hmm. while Critical Beatdown was out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we riding down the highway in a limo like, who's this? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I started this. Indeed, indeed. No, no question, man. You know what I'm saying? Indeed. Know your history, man. Yeah. I mean, I think so that's, like, that's a big takeaway. You know what I'm like, People don't you know, know I, 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 I just was like, okay, mm -hmm. you don't know better. Mm -hmm. True. A lot of people don't know better. Yeah. Yeah. Very it's, true. It's, it's bad. It's real bad. Indeed. You know. Like, you wouldn't even be standing there. Mm -hmm. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Right. It's true. It's true. Know your history, young people. Do a little research. Research. Don't make an asshole out of yourself. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Awesome, man. Well, thanks so All much, right, Keith, man. man. As always, man. Yeah. Mad props. You know, Israel, it's, it's always good talking to you. It's always good. Indeed. Anytime Indeed. y'all need the truth and everybody out there in audio land, 
like you said, know your history, do your research. Otherwise, you can be a fool. Mm 